We just set the machines up. Okay, we're ready to roll. Watch it. Hey, knucklehead. It's time for American Knucklehead, an average Joe's take on the state of the nation. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to American Knucklehead, the backest of backwaters of internet rantery. My name is Crawford Smith, and I thank you for listening to what will certainly be the last episode of the American Knucklehead podcast. By the time you hear this, Donald Trump will have been inaugurated the 45th president of the United States of America. (sighs) Honest to Christ, friends and neighbors, I never thought that I would hear those words coming out of my mouth. Jesus H. Tap dancing Christ. Now, you may have noticed that episodes of this podcast have become a few and far between lately. I think the last episode I posted was March 2016 during the primaries. Now, to tell you the truth, I actually wrote and recorded two other podcast episodes during the general campaign, but I never posted them. At the time, I thought the tenor of the campaign was so negative, puerile, and counterproductive that adding my foaming-at-the-mouth contribution wasn't going to achieve a damn thing. Maybe I was wrong, but (sighs) doesn't matter now. So now we are on the cusp of a scary new America, and already the effects are being felt. To wit, the election of Donald Trump will cost my family $50,000. No lie, no exaggeration, I am out fifty grand because Trump won the election. Here's how. At the end of 2016, my wife and I bought our very first house. Throughout the fall, as we were grinding through the paperwork, we were on course to lock in an interest rate somewhere around 3.6%. A pretty damn good deal. Then, Trump won the election, and the interest rates shot up nearly three-quarters of a point. Our mortgage broker said eh, they'd probably drift back down, but they didn't. So, we were stuck. And because we got a higher rate, the net cost over the 30-year life of the loan, $50,000. That's fifty grand coming out of my pocket and going into the pocket of a big bank thanks to the election of Donald Trump. I suspect that's just a preview of what we're going to see during the Trump administration. Billionaires and big banks are going to make big bucks on the backs of middle-class folks and poor folks just like you and me. Bend over, friends and neighbors. Here it comes again. Now, one of the most infuriating things about this election is my suspicion that most of the people who supported Trump really don't understand the real-world consequences of what they did. Yuck, I just voted Hillary off the island. (laughs) Yeah, well, thanks, fucknuts. You also voted 50 grand out of my pocket, 20 million people out of their health insurance, voted God knows how many minimum wage knuckleheads from getting a raise, and that is only the beginning. Hey, you want to check out how much of a joke this is? Or at least used to be? Check out this creepily prescient bit from 2010 by Natasha Leggero. Sarah Palin has said that she is planning on running for president in 2012, and Donald Trump is planning on running for president. They're going to turn the presidency into a reality show. Tonight on the presidency, who will be eliminated, Iran or North Korea? Text 2457 to cast your vote. God. Seacrest out. Shit, friends and neighbors, I wish I was out. But as I've pointed out in every single episode of this podcast, we're in this together. 
Sure doesn't seem that way sometimes, especially now. I have the feeling that a lot of Trump supporters voted for him out of nothing more than spite. Seems like a self-defeating strategy, though, doesn't it? I had a lengthy diatribe prepared to crying Trump supporters, but I will save that for another forum. I think the best thing that I can say for people who support Donald Trump is that they are very confused. Then there's the character of Mr. Trump himself. And now there's already been plenty said about the man, and doubtless there will be much more said between now and whenever he slinks away from the Oval Office. I will limit my comments to this, this one thing that bothers me the most about Donald Trump. He is a bullshitter. He is absolutely chock full to the gills of bullshit, friends and neighbors. In my opinion, that's much worse than being a liar. Liars at least have some notion of the truth that they're trying to avoid. Trump is just a bullshitter. He'll say anything that pops into his tiny mind as long as it supports whatever a personal agenda he's concerned with at the time. He doesn't care about the truth. He has no relationship to the truth. As far as Donald Trump is concerned, the truth is just an artificial social construct that keeps him from getting what he wants. Okay, okay, enough about Trump and his supporters. I'm sure I'll have more to say about them in another time and place. Right now, I'd like to focus my remarks on two institutions that might actually be able to demonstrate some contrition and accountability. The media and the DNC. Okay, the media probably won't show any contrition or accountability, but the DNC is going to have to deal with it if it ever wants to win another goddamn election. So the low-hanging fruit, the news media. In a very real way, they are responsible for the rise of our mango-headed Mussolini. They gave this loser all manner of free airtime, giddily parroting whatever asinine thing he spouted without ever calling him on his obvious bullshit. At least until it was too late. Now why do they do this? It's good for ratings. And it went on so long and with so little follow-up or fact-checking that it became legitimized in the eyes of the mouth-breathers who wanted to believe his hateful bullshit. And finally, late in the game, the media actually did start to call him on his obvious lies. But by the time they realized that their ratings-grabbing Frankenstein was about to destroy the village, it was too late. Actually, there is a larger issue here as well, besides the giggling credulity that the mainstream press exhibited in promoting Trump. Now, over the last several decades, news has just been so commoditized that it is really nothing more than a revenue stream. Journalistic integrity is a quaint piece of history, long ago subsumed by the need to get ratings and attract viewers. And what attracts viewers? Bad news. The worst, the most negative, the most alarmist stories they can find always lead. Nothing but bullshit and bad news through every 24-hour news cycle, friends and neighbors. Now, the upshot of this is that nitwits, ding-dongs, and others who tend to vote Republican get riled up really easily by a constant drumbeat of negatively exaggerated news stories. They develop really screwed-up worldviews, and it leads to decisions like Donald Trump would be a good president. Anyway, the point of this ceaseless peddling of scare stories is it leads people to make bad decisions. Especially if you stop, use a little critical thinking, take a look at the situation, and then realize that most of the shit that's being broadcast doesn't really seem to be real. Now check this out by Bill Hicks. You know my problem? I watch too much news. I don't know if you've ever, ever, ever sat and watched CNN longer than, say, 20 hours in one day. (laughs) I've got to cut that out. You ever watch CNN headline news for any length of time? It's the most depressing fucking thing you will ever do. 
War, famine, death, AIDS, homeless, recession, depression, war, famine, death, AIDS. Then you look out your window, it's just... Where is all this shit happening, man? Ted Turner is making this shit up. Jane Fonda won't sleep with him. He runs to a typewriter. By 1992, we will all die of AIDS. Read that on the air. I don't get laid. Nobody gets laid. I mean, I'm writing Jane Fonda. Will you fuck this guy so we can get some good news, please? I want to see a well-laid Ted Turner newscast. Hey, it's all going to work out. Here's sports. <laughs> a big stupid grin. <laughs> Fuck, I'm getting laid right now. Fuck it. Hey. Right. So what can an American knucklehead do? Well, what I did was quit paying attention to CNN. Basically, I decided to conduct an experiment. For the last month, I quit the news junkie habit nearly entirely. I quit obsessing over news feeds and websites voided social media, and instead, I got a subscription to the Sunday New York Times. That's my main source of news now. Now, the result of this experiment, a noticeable drop in my personal stress level. Listening to overhyped bad news on websites and CNN, and even worse, exposing myself to the pig ignorance encountered on Facebook and Twitter, that just did me no good, friends and neighbors. Got my blood pressure elevated for nothing. Good riddance to bad rubbish. So that's the news media, but the other object of my ire, and the one I hold in most contempt for the installation of Trump as our commander-in-chief, is the Democratic Party itself. In short, they shoved a highly unpalatable candidate right down our throat and expected us to swallow it and like it. Well, it sure as hell didn't work out that way, and I can only hope that the DNC has learned from its arrogance. Now, of all of the questionable claims of rigged elections that we heard about in the last year, none come so close to the truth as the Democratic primaries. First, the way that Democrats weight their primaries with their so-called superdelegates make the already crap-ass primary system even less Democratic. And secondly, the leaked emails that indicated that the DNC, despite its professed neutrality, was clearly favoring Clinton over Sanders. Now, Hillary Clinton was repeatedly referred to as the anointed candidate. An apt description. Essentially, the DNC pretty much decided that Clinton was going to be their candidate come hell or high water. They chose to ignore the momentum from the Sanders campaign and railroad Clinton onto the ticket. Problem with this is that the country was fucking sick of the Clintons 20 years ago. The notion that she was a good choice for the presidential candidate just goes to illustrate how out of touch the Democratic Party has become. Just plain arrogance, friends and neighbors. In my view, the Dems shot themselves in the foot by focusing way too much on identity politics and ignoring a huge chunk of the electorate just because they didn't happen to fall into their politically correct demographic slots. Basically, they spent way too much time and effort sucking up to special political groups, most of whom didn't even bother to show up to vote, or if they did, they voted for Trump. Now, the really tragic part of this story is that Sanders had a good shot at connecting with the disaffected voters who supported Obama in the past, but pulled the lever for Trump when they were behind the curtain and no one was looking. I just hope the Dems learn from their mistake and put together a leadership coalition that will attempt to connect with all American knuckleheads, even if they're white or straight or male or what have you. So where does that leave us now, friends and neighbors? 
kind of feels like we're up shit creek without a life preserver. Now, I've been trying to take the long view, certainly a good tactic for right now, and look at the bright side. Certainly a cloud as dark as the Donald Trump presidency must have some shiny lining, right? Now, one topic that I've nattered on about in previous episodes of this podcast is the topic of change. It's been pretty clear to me that the recent course of America's social and political structure was unsustainable. Change is going to happen whether those benefiting from the status quo liked it or not. Well, friends or neighbors, we got our change, but it sure wasn't the one that was going to be beneficial to the country. Still, it illustrates that a lot of American knuckleheads are ready and willing to accept some sort of change. It's just a shame that the only real agent of change we were offered was the pathological dingbat who sort of won the election. The really sad and ironic part, as I've already mentioned, is that Bernie Sanders really represented the sort of positive change that would have benefited the vast majority of American knuckleheads. With Trump, the only people who are going to benefit are the bankers and the billionaires. Another missed opportunity for change was from the third parties. Back when I was young, dumb, and full of baloney, I was a supporter of the Libertarian Party. Now, my zeal for the Libertarian cause waned drastically when I actually met and started to talk to some of the nut jobs that flocked to that banner, but I still have a soft spot in my head for them. That's why I was disappointed with their choice of Gary Johnson as a candidate, a man so out of touch that he thinks that Aleppo is one of the Marx Brothers. Ditto for the Green Party, who fielded a living caricature of itself with Dr. Jill Stein. So now we're still stuck with our moribund two-party system, and I still think that needs to change. Hell, as I've blathered on about before, friends and neighbors, there are a lot of things about our electoral system that need to change. The crummy primary system certainly does. Why should a handful of goobers in flyover states get to decide who makes it to the bonus round? I see no reason why the primaries can't be held on the same day. I mean, we really need to shorten our torturously lengthy election cycle anyway. And another change that desperately needs to happen is the elimination of the Electoral College. I've always thought this anachronism would be a front and center for the chopping block, especially now, but this doesn't seem to be the case. Occasionally I'll see articles about this or that effort to do away with this turd in the punch bowl of American democracy, but sadly, these effects seem to be relegated to the tinfoil hat fringe of political discourse. And for all the talk of change, how much change does Donald Trump really represent? Not a lot, really. Basically, we can look forward to more of the same atavistic greedhead bullshit we saw under George W. Bush. Trump is not new and fresh. He's a 70-year-old rich asshole who's been shoving himself in the national spotlight for over three decades. Nothing new there except for the utter lack of disregard for honesty, humility, or integrity. For all of its reputation for innovation, it sometimes seems that Americans have a pathological aversion to change. I was talking about the Electoral College. I mean, why the hell is that old piece of crap still around? And there are plenty of other examples of changes that would be really useful, yet never seem to happen. The metric system? Hell yes! I work in architecture, and feet and fractional inches is just a stupid way of measuring. Daylight savings time? Completely worthless. This isn't the 19th century anymore, friends and neighbors, and we're not an agrarian society. Paper dollar bills? Pointless and money-wasting, yet we continue to cling to our singles like Jones and crack addicts. So, I'm about out of it, friends and neighbors. I'll admit things look pretty bleak. Throughout the course of this podcast, I've advocated what I call the homeland improvement. Basically, it's the idea that our country needs some work, that we collectively need to roll up our sleeves and deal with some serious issues to help renovate our home. 
Alas, it seems that we've opted for misdirection and scapegoating instead of real change. I started this podcast as an appeal to populism, the idea that most American knuckleheads are, at their core, kind, decent, and generous people. I tell you, after this last election, I'm not so sure that I believe that. We Americans seem to be very easily manipulated into nasty infighting by special interests who profit from the status quo. Still in all, despite all of the bitter rivalry and political differences, I believe that there is still much more that unites us than divides us. We all want to feel proud of our country. We all want to feel as though we are making a positive contribution to our communities. We all want to be fairly compensated for those contributions. We all want to feel that we are safe in our daily lives and that our loved ones are also safe. We all want to be secure in knowing that if some unforeseen disaster occurs, that our lives will not be disrupted or destroyed. I could go on and on, but I think you get the idea, friends and neighbors. Given the wealth and technological advancement that the United States enjoys, I see no reason why these humble wants can be achieved. If only we had a system of politics that would work towards these goals in a reasonable and equitable manner. I think it's possible. Eventually. Of course, we'll have to overcome a lot of our fears and resistance to change, and to have the intelligence and determination to stand up to those vested interests who tell us that it cannot be done. So before I sign off for the last time, I want to rehash my three-point plan for homeland improvement. So all this feel-good love burger stuff I'm talking about might actually stand a chance of coming to pass. First, electoral reform, and especially campaign financing reform. Until we can take the big money donors out of our democracy, our representatives will never truly represent us. Second, healthcare reform. There's no reason why the United States of America can't make sure all of its citizens are healthy and productive without having to pay through the nose for it. Finally, education reform. Americans should be able to educate themselves, expand their minds, and learn useful skills without having to go up to their eyebrows in debt. It's pretty simple when you get down to it. So that's it, friends and neighbors. For good or ill, I've said my piece, at least in the context of the American Knucklehead podcast. To those of you who have listened over the years, you have my deepest appreciation. And I'll end as I always have on the thought that summarizes the entire American Knucklehead philosophy. Y'all be good to each other out there. We're in this together. <laughs>